Welcome to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast, where you go behind the scenes with financial planner, speaker, and consultant Michael Kitsis to hear stories of how leading financial advisors navigated the inevitable challenges that arise on the path to success and get insight from leading industry consultants about how to break through to the next level in your advisory business. And now here's your host, Michael Kitsis. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the 338th episode of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. My guest on today's podcast is Tony Hickson. Tony's the co-founder and COO of Hickson Zerker Capital Management, an independent REA based in Finlay, Ohio, that oversees more than $300 million in assets under management for nearly 330 client households. What's unique about Tony, though, is how the tragic death of his mother, just six months after she retired, made Tony realize that even though retirees may be prepared financially for their retirement, they might not be prepared mentally for the transition to a life that is separate from their career identities, which ultimately inspired him to change the way he engages with his own clients around financial planning and led him to write a book in the honor of his mother and help his clients and other retirees learn from his mother's story. In this episode, we talk in depth about how just months after her retirement from nursing, Tony's mother became depressed and decided to take her own life, which made him see firsthand how entering retirement means so much more than just being financially prepared, as even though his mom was financially stable, she didn't have purpose and was not mentally prepared for life after her successful career. How Tony decided to add retirement transition coaching sessions to work more deeply with his clients to help them prepare for retirement by finding their own purpose in life beyond their careers. And the way that Tony has expanded his in-person and now virtual retirement workshops for both clients and non-clients simply to increase access to tools and information on how others can mentally prepare for their retirement transition. We also talk about why Tony and his partner have taken an active approach to managing their client portfolios, even as passive ETF models have become increasingly unpopular amongst most advisors. Why Tony and his partner, Adam, decided to change their name from Freedom Financial Solutions and to Hickson Zerker Capital Management because they felt adding their founder names into the name of the firm was actually the best way to build a legacy with name recognition that could continue beyond them. And the way that Tony and his partner have implemented their five core values for the firm, integrity, professionalism, excellence, abundance, and teamwork, to further establish a personal identity for the firm that can last beyond their leadership. And be certain to listen to the end, where Tony shares why he and his firm follow the mantra, we win or we learn, because they don't view mistakes as losing, but rather as learning and growth opportunities. Why Tony feels that younger, newer advisors should focus on working on their designations before starting a family so that when the time comes, they'll be able to devote their full attention to their spouses and children instead of studying. And why Tony believes that feeling fulfilled in life begins with finding your why and how telling his mother's story and helping others find their purpose in retirement life has helped him find his why. And he plans to continue helping others retire well through financial planning and coaching now for the foreseeable future. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast with Tony Hickson. Welcome, Tony Hickson, to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. Hey, Michael. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm excited for the discussion this morning and and, and talking a little bit about um, retirement and the, the ways that we get to work with, with clients in retirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I know when I got started in in my career, like I was really excited to do retirement planning because I was really into numbers and financial planning software and spreadsheets. And it's like, <clears throat> retirement planning is awesome. Like there's so many numbers you get to project and like <laughs> all these assumptions. And then like we can put the tax planning in on top and like add some more value. And like right. all these all these layers we would do 
And then I remember uh, the very early on in my career going to a uh, a presentation from uh, the the great Mitch Anthony. I, I say yeah. that like he's passed since he's still active. Like the, the currently active, awesomely <laughs> the currently great. active uh, return on life guy. <laughs> yes, return on life guy, Mitch Anthony, um, who at the time was talking about what he was calling his new new retirementality, mm-hmm. and and it was this discussion of like you know the the uh, like when we all put retirement up on this pedestal of like it's this great journey that you finally reach congratulations you did the work you did the saving you did the diligent investing you did all the good stuff you're finally ready to retire and you know we have the adirondack chairs and the walks on the beach and like all the all the all the wonderful pictures that we put of retirement and he told this story of a gentleman that like went went and retired um uh and and like was this is great i'm gonna get to go golfing and like do all the golfing that i want because he was big into golf and then he started golfing and then he golfed again and then he golfed again and then he golfed again. And then like six months into retirement, he's like, wait, this kind of sucks. Like I have done the same, the same three courses in my area with the same foursome, like 27 times each course. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to get bored yeah. and I got like 29 and a half years left of this 30 year <laughs> retirement thing. Yeah, what, yeah. what am I going to do? And, and for me, like it really hit home as I was getting deeper into working with clients and retirement planning and just kind of notice there's sort of this phenomenon that some clients are retiring, like they're, 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 they're moving into retirement. Like they're retiring to something they're, they're retiring to, uh, 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 grandchildren or, or a certain lifestyle or uh, just some change in transition where like they've been working towards it and they want to retire to that. Like they, they, they are excited to get there. Right. And then others I find really are more, they're retiring from something mm-hmm. like I got to get away from this job. I got to get away from this career. I got to get away from this industry. Like my body's wearing out. I can't do the thing I've been doing anymore. And like, they don't have a vision and expectation excitement of what they're going to. It's really just about getting away from wherever they are. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I could see in my own world, like this noticeable difference between the folks that were retiring to and the folks that were retiring from. Yeah. And, and so I know you have, you have lived a lot of this journey because you've gone like many steps further than I ever have. You you have a firm that has actually built out like retirement workshops and private coaching of like how to help clients actually like get to a good retirement and maybe not just being retiring from something. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to talk a lot about the advisory business overall today. I know you built you know many hundreds of millions of dollars under management and a, and a great team of what you do. Mm-hmm. But I really wanted to start the discussion by. Uh, understanding more uh, about like these retirement workshops that you created and what exactly you're you're doing to help people in the retirement transition because a lot of us talk about being retirement experts but I feel like you have taken it to another level with these workshops. Yeah, well, first let me say, um, Michael, thank you for having me. Thank you for all that you do for our industry. I've been a follower of you for years on your platform and your podcast, so um, really appreciate the opportunity to be on on today. So. Um, yeah, to to articulate a little bit of what those retirement sh- workshops look like and why we developed them, uh, we'll probably get into the backstory of the the real reason why. But um, in general, we do feel that the financial industry um, does. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say it do a disservice, but they don't do a full service of really helping clients transition to a life of meaning and significance beyond retirement. Uh, The financial industry does a great job of checking all the financial boxes, and that truly is their responsibility. Um, But we really wanted to take another step 
because what we were seeing and what we've seen over a couple decades of being in business is that retirees can often get stuck in the vacation phase. And so let me explain what I mean by that. Get stuck in the vacation phase. Okay. Yeah. I got, this is like a version of my, you know, like Mitch's story of, of like, yeah, like golfing sounds great on vacation. <laughs> You're doing that like every week for exactly. 30 years. Exactly. And, and it really comes down to they, um, you know, the, the, I guess, advertisements of that walk on the beach and golf daily. Uh, it, when you're suffering from career burnout, those, those images do look attractive and, and yeah. that's okay. And that's, that's awesome. And, but once you're there and you start to possibly get bored in your life, it does feel a bit unfulfilling. And the question of who am I is now resurrecting itself and you can't quite answer it. The, the question of who am I, Michael, like it's easy in your career when um, you're busy, you're trying to climb the corporate ladder, you're, you're earning money to pay off the mortgage, you're raising kids, you're raising a family. It's easy to crowd that question out yeah. but upon retirement. And you're confronted with that question once again, who am I? And there's not that busyness around to really um, crowd. You, you're faced, you're, you have to, you have the moment of reckoning. Who am when, I? What's next for me? When I feel like this is like a, you know, a particular thing and just, I know, our, our, our world, like just our, our, our American world, mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of our uh, team members on, on the Kitsis team is, is from Brazil. And she said like one of the, one of the strangest things for her when, when she first immigrated to the U S was that just like when she meets people socially, like everyone asks, what do you do? And she said like, no, nobody, nobody starts conversations that way. <laughs> At home, she like it just to me, it's so normal. Like, mm -hmm. I sort of joke the DC greeting is like, you know, what are you doing? Where are you from? Because mm -hmm. I need to know like what your political identity is by <laughs> who you work for, mm -hmm. um, and where are you from? Because no one's from here; they're just like here yeah. in the area for a while for their right. for the uh, political system. <laughs> uh, and and so this this whole like you know, our our jobs and the work that we do is part of our identity. I sort of found and learned over the years. Like, I think is is something we particularly wrap into our fabric here in the US. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, like but it's so it so becomes part of our fabric that you know, and just answering the question like who who are you uh when you when you don't have a job anymore and that doesn't define you. Yeah, it's like, like trying, it's, trying it's, to answer that question yeah, without really, using really quickly. Your, yeah, without using your title, right? Yeah, <laughs> without using your title or anything about your work. Like it's even just an interesting exercise. Like imagine, you know, if, if someone said like, you know, tell me about yourself and you're not allowed to talk about work mm -hmm. or yeah. your job or your career at all. Yeah. How do you even answer that question? Like, do you have a comfortable answer? Right. And so, yeah. And so that's exactly where we find a lot of our, a lot of retirees are at. They, they're faced with this, trying to answer that question without using their career because they've retired and it's not there. So what um, our goal and our vision was to kind of um, assist with that transition from a non-financial perspective. And so we launched uh, a platform, a service within our, our, our company called Refocus Coaching. So Refocus, the RE, just like uh, try to focus again, right? And um, we were focused on our career at the first half. What are we refocusing on for the second half? And so we uh, had developed retirement workshops where um, in our conference room uh, between, you know, four couples, eight people, eight individuals, however it works out, uh, we'll gather for uh, a workshop that's put on by our life coach. 
And um, backstory to our life coach, his name is Scott Miller. Scott and myself and my business partner, Adam Zerker, um, we had a great friendship with him over the years. He was a dentist for, in his career, over 32 years. And um, he was wanting to transition out and, um, but he also wanted to retire to something and, uh, he's just a great individual, a great coach and what he wanted to do. He wanted to make an impact and he's a, derive meaning in his second half. He's a dentist turned life coach. Dentist turned life coach. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, like, no, I'm not trying to be negative to dentists yeah, by yeah. any means. It's just like, that's not the transition that necessarily comes to mind to I me know. first. I know. It's like when you, uh, try to talk to your dentist, they got their hands in your mouth. They're like, you can't really talk back, but, uh. Yeah, he's a he's a super gifted individual, and um, he just has a passion for help. As he transitioned into what's this is what his second half is, he wants to be a blessing to others to help them in their transition as well. So these workshops are filled um, uh, in two two hour sessions. So, for example, uh, there would be one on a Monday evening for a couple hours. That would be session one, and then there would be homework in between, and um, the attendees would gather the following Monday evening for a couple hours uh, to continue through the content. And ultimately the summit of the workshop, the, the last hour of the, of the, of the workshop, that by the time you're done, you have a retirement summary plan. Uh, no numbers at all. No, uh, should I do a Roth conversion or not? It's uh, really all about um, uh, looking at life from a non-financial perspective to discover what you're retiring to. And so is this like a, like a, a workbook or a template thing that they're working through to like fill out their retirement summary plan. Yeah. So we, um, upon the release of my book, uh, which we can also discuss here in, in a little while as well. Um, we wanted to put action to the content of, of, of the book. And so what, we did for about half a year, took us six months to develop uh, the curriculum and content for these workshops. And uh, Scott, myself, my business partner, Adam, our marketing department, we worked tirelessly to develop the content for this course. So you are correct. Uh, there is a three ring binder full of content, uh, worksheets and um, planning guides and, and uh, agendas for uh, for the workshop attendee to walk through. And then there's a, a PowerPoint presentation that Scott walks them through along the way. And, and it truly is a workshop. There, there's work, uh, they, there's breakout sessions. They leave the conference room and, and sit with their spouse or significant other or by themselves and really, um, really take time to think through um, who they are and what's next for them. I know you had told our team you were willing to share a, a copy, like a, a PDF with the whole workshop workbook that uh, that accompanies it, which, which I really appreciate. Thank you. So uh, for those who are listening, this is episode 338. So if you go to kitsis.com slash 338, we'll have a link out to the PDF of the workbook that Tony uses for facilitating these workshops if you want to check it out for yourself. So it's ultimately the the workshop series is, is literally like the two two session the two sessions that are two hours each, like four four hours in total with a week, a week between the first and the second to, to do some homework. That's correct. We debated this a thousand ways to, um, how, how do we do that? Should we do like a Saturday morning for a full four hours? And, uh, ultimately we've, you know, tried and, and, and I don't know, ultimately settled on, uh, two, two hour workshops to, with a break in between seems to be a good, um, time frame and a good commitment level for attendees to be able to keep. 
So, so help me frame up uh, just where where these fit overall. Like, are are these are these workshops you're doing for um, for clients? Are these workshops you're doing for prospects to get people in the door? Uh, like, wh- where does it fit for the overall business? Yeah, good question. So the way we think about it is, um, you know, we are a wealth management firm and oftentimes wealth is defined by money, monetary dollar signs, right? Um, we, we add to that definition a bit. We think that you can be wealthy in purpose. We think that you can be wealthy in friendships and social connections. We think that there can be wealth of physical activity as well. So um, we define wealth a lot broader than just dollars and cents. And so it does fit into our fee structure. So when a client is paying us an asset management fee, we are fee only uh, RIA, um, it is included in their fee. Now that being said, um, we think that the content of this workshop is so meaningful and necessary that we do offer it to non-clients and prospects as well. So non-clients would be charged a fee, a very nominal fee. It covers the cost of our materials, um, but nonetheless, it gives them a bit of a buy-in to make sure that they do show up and uh, and listen to the content along the way. And, and what kind of fee are we talking about for non-clients? Maybe this is in the mm-hmm. like $30, $50 kind of neighborhood if we're just basically yeah. trying to cover printing materials. Yeah. So I come from, um, you know, a lot of executive coaching that I've received. My business partner, Adam, and I have have undergone strategic coach with Dan Sullivan. You know, that's fun. And um, and Stephanie Bogan with Limitless Advisor. And, you know, and so we often hear, you know, charge, charge a lot, you know, and, and it's, there's value to it. And, and I agree, there is. And at the same time, this is a new service. We launched this in January of 2022, and we need to fill workshops. So uh, we are charging $49 for non-clients. Again, it basically covers our costs. It's not so high that it pr- would prevent a person from coming, but it's also enough for us to be able to um, to recoup our costs a bit. So, so how often do these... Uh do these run in practice because you said you're you're limiting to eight in in capacity so you you've got some some real limitation for uh for space so how how often are you putting these out to try to just work through however many clients and or prospects want to go through this yeah and actually eight was purposeful as well we we thought and we um um tried to demo larger workshop events and we just felt that it wasn't as intimate. Um, people weren't as comfortable sharing or talking out loud in front of a larger group of individuals. So we found that eight was kind of that magic number that would allow for a really fruitful conversation and meaningful, uh, meaningful interaction. And um, so what we're doing is we offer them both live. So here on site, here at the at the office here in, in Finley, Ohio, in our conference room. And those are fun. Uh, and we also offer them virtually. So we do have us, uh, we are be set up to be able to offer virtual workshops as well. So we offer on-site workshops once a month. Summertime, we uh, experimented with that last year. Not a lot of people want to spend, you know, a total of four hours in a conference room uh, during the summer in Ohio. So we may back off uh, this coming year in, in the summertime, but in general, monthly, we're we're offering on-site and then every other month we've settled on 
offering a, a virtual uh, workshop, a cohort as well. Interesting. So month, monthly on-site and then every other month virtually as well. That's so correct. you can put through like a good number of people and just yeah. monthly through the year, uh, 12 workshops at eight ahead, like you can get almost 100 people through and then okay. another 50 virtually. So you're like, you're gearing up to do a good number of folks. That's correct. Yeah. Yep. And um, we've had a lot of um, really good traction in the virtual side. Um, we were blessed to be able to have been featured on CBS Evening News. Um, they were doing a, a retirement uh, segment, a series that they were going through on the CBS Evening News. And somehow they tripped across our social media post with our refocus coaching. And uh, that generated quite a bit of interest throughout the country uh, for our refocus coaching platform. So our virtual events have been going really, really well. I was going to ask, uh, uh, like how that came about that you, like that you get, you've launched this thing like a year or two ago and it ends out on CBS evening news. So right. social media, social media they, was, was how they found it. I like guess some, some producer saw it on social media and was like, Ooh, that's neat. Let's, let's go get that person. Yeah. Basically what, what happens is uh, we are, we are big on social media platform and refocus coaching. Scott does uh, a weekly YouTube video, basically a three to five minute coaching tips. And there was one that he did in particular on the mental health challenges of retirement. And that particular one, um, some uh, news anchor down in Houston, Texas, Googled uh, retirement mental health. And uh, that YouTube video popped to the top of her list. And uh, she watched it and thought, this is legit. These guys know what they're doing. And we landed up on the, on the CBS Evening News as a result. Interesting. Well, I'm struck even just uh, where that was. I don't know, I, like modern social media area, just you're saying social media. I'm envisioning like, oh, man, what's the, like, what's the tweet? What's the, like the 280 characters that gets right. you on the CBS Evening News? <laughs> uh, I was like, no, no. So this was, this was, go this was YouTube mm -hmm. content. This was YouTube videos. Because you know it's super searchable, so when people are googling around, they find their way to it. Okay. So this was this was YouTube content mm -hmm. that you had posted right. that they actually found their way to, and then came to your website yep. and, went, and went deeper. Yep, yep, came to the website, and um, ultimately, it's one of those uh, you've probably you've obviously been contacted by the press. It's one of those phone calls where if you don't respond within the next five minutes, I'm moving on to the next person. <laughs> and, oh, so uh, yes, particularly like the TV producers more than anything else. There's a lot of like we're working on this segment and we're really interested in having you out for it, but you have to respond in the next hour and get to a video studio in the next four hours. So hope you didn't have anything going on in your life today. <laughs> that's but a, it's a great opportunity. Yeah, that's it, hundred percent. So yeah. It was uh, like a two minute and 30, uh, yeah, two minute and 30 second clip on the CBS evening news that took about eight hours of, 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 of our time to record. So it was great. Very cool. Very cool. So, um, so I guess, so a few follow on questions I've got. Um, so you said like every, every month on site, every other month virtually, when, like, have you found, uh, like these are better in the daytime. These are better in the evening. These are better on weekdays. These are better on weekends. I'm, I sounds like you like, uh, trying things and experimenting. So I'm going to guess you've, you've done this in a couple of different formats to figure out like what, what works. We absolutely have. And um, what we're finding is that these workshops uh, are being attended by pre-retirees. Uh, we, we, we have a mix, but basically um, the main avatar for the workshop is a pre-retiree to do the work before the transition. Okay. So they're still working. So you're not necessarily getting folks that are like in retirement and I'm not happy and I'm not enjoying it. So I want to refocus my retirement because I'm unhappy. It's 
it's a lot more. I'm getting ready to retire, but I have no idea what that's actually going to mean in my life, what I'm going to do. So I'm going to come to this workshop to figure out what the heck retirement's supposed to be for me. Yeah. Really. Yeah. To clarify, that's the latter is the avatar, but we've had the former come. So those who are in retirement and not quite sure where to go, um, they definitely attended and found value, but we really want to get them before retirement so that there were that way they're prepared better. So that being said, they're still working. They still have office hours. So to to get them during the day into a you know two 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 hour workshops is is not not a great idea. So uh, they are evening uh, workshops. Uh, we've settled on six p.m. to eight p.m. on evenings, and then we toggle that. Uh, each month is a different weeknight. So for instance, January would be Monday, February would be Tuesdays, March okay. would be Wednesdays, et cetera. And then uh, for the virtual workshop, uh, time zones are, are nuts. So therefore, we've actually landed on doing virtual workshops uh, during the day, right? So okay, a lot of uh, stay-at-home people, virtual people, they take their lunch break plus another hour. And uh, we found that um, doing the virtual workshop during the business day, at least in the Eastern time zone, has worked well for us. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I guess there's sort of the, as you said, like it, if it's virtual, I can kind of hop in for an hour on my lunch break and then maybe I tag on another hour. Uh, but if it's in person, like it's not even those two hours, then like I got to drive to your office and drive back again. Maybe I got like pick up or coordinate with my spouse as well. So like this gets to be a little bit longer, which just gets messy mm -hmm. in a workday context in person. But, you know, the the flexibility of, of Zoom, like it's not just for meetings that you get rid of like commute and travel time back and forth. Like it works for offering workshops as well. Right. Yep. I got to ask, like, just do you find differences in... I guess either delivery from your end or engagement from their end when you do it virtually versus in person is is one seeming to be more impactful than another just from what connects with the with the people that you're serving. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm going to date myself here, but uh, I am old school. So having that face to face, on site, tangible interaction with a person. Uh, does have uh, a more meaningful connection, we think. Uh, the, em the emotions that can come out from some of these discussions and, and content, um, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with a sensitive topic. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not black and white numbers and, and uh, Excel spreadsheets. This is how are you feeling? Um, what's next for you? It's, it's, it's deep. So we, we are finding uh, a deeper sense of connection on the on-site workshops, but that's not to negate the fact that the virtual workshops are going well. Like we understand that in order to have a larger reach, uh, we need to offer these for, for, for people. And uh, oftentimes those who have chosen to, to take the, the virtual um, workshop cohort, uh, the feedback we're receiving is that um, emotions aren't being lost in translation. They're still receiving uh, the connection that they need and the impact that they, that they, that they want and in, in putting the time into the workshops. And so I was going to ask as well, just how you manage sort of thinking of capacity, like you do this thing for clients, but it's limited to eight per month. At some point as I'm in, I'm envisioning this, um, you know, five, five client couples want to do it at the same month. And like, you have to tell one of your clients, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Like you, you can't come in. Mm -hmm. You're a wonderful client, but like <laughs> the, the, the registration's full. Uh, just it, like, does that, like, does that actually crop up as an issue or am I just 
like making that up in my head is unnecessary it, it crop, logistic uh, management. Yeah, no, yeah, that's an insightful question. It does crop up as an issue. That being said, delaying them a month often uh, has not become an issue yet. So sorry, this one's full. Would you consider signing up for our June cohort? And we haven't had any pushback at that point. If there's something really um, pressing for them, there's a career transition looming on their recent horizon. Um, you know, Scott does offer private coaching as well, which we can uh, certainly chat about also. But um, we would we would typically then have them meet with Scott one on one. Okay. Okay. And um, uh, and so, how do you? I guess like think about results, measure results of, you know, just is, is this do, you know, nice to have people feel fulfilled from the workshop and maybe that's fine in and of itself. But like, do you look at this from a business results end? Is there like, do you measure retention or referrals or like the percentage of prospects who came to it, who then ultimately became clients? Like are, are, are there measurements that you've tried to put in place of how you figure out whether a program like this is, is, having positive impact for the business itself. Yeah, we do. So obviously I'm a financial advisor. So yeah, I'm a spreadsheet junkie and uh, numbers matter, right? So we are not measuring results from revenue. And uh, the the reason for that is obvious because it's baked in for our clients. It's baked into our AUM feed. And then from a non-client perspective, it's, it's covering our costs. So what we are measuring is kind of a funnel to uh, private coaching where, where we do charge a bit higher. So if they attend a workshop, it's from a very high level-ish, right? It, every All eight people are receiving the same content and it's canned, right? It's in a work, workbook and there's a PowerPoint that goes with it. Uh, so if we can, once they get to their retirement summary plan, if they want, you know, a more tailored plan, uh, they want accountability to their plan, they want... Um, further coaching beyond the workshop, we would then really encourage them to sign up for private coaching services. So that's kind of a a measurement is to see if we can get them to sign up for private coaching. And then secondly, we do in the uh, feedback forms, we have, you know, the scale one to five rate this, 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 right. It's a, it's a survey feedback form. And so it's easy for us to build a spreadsheet and see, you know, are we getting positive results? Are the results, are the, is the feedback we're receiving increasing? Uh, we're getting uh, better scores, um, better feedback from from the uh, from the workshops, and we've we've taken feedback from each workshop that we get, and we've improved it. I think uh, Scott told me yesterday when I was meeting with him, there are fi- there have been fifty one iterations of of this workshop uh, based on content and feedback that we've received from from clients. So uh, it's been an exciting ride, and so I don't know if that completely answers your question, but we do not measure it by revenue. We measure it by, can we upsell them to private coaching and are our scores improving? So then help us understand private, private coaching. Cause it sounds like this is actually a, like, this is business model level for you. Like this is a service that you actually mean to deliver on a profitable basis. And that like, this is, Mm -hmm. this is what makes like the business revenue impact in that manner. Yep. Uh, that's the goal. Um, okay. So the concept is, is that once they've gone through the workshop and they've decided that they do want to, they want next steps, they want help. They want someone to walk beside them in their journey. Um, I want to be clear too, that this coaching service, I think oftentimes retire or humans get it confused with counseling. It is not counseling. It's, it doesn't have to be anything 
super wrong with your life in order to, um, to, to engage Scott in a conversation. He's a coach. He, he wants to draw the best out of you. Our, our service offering is that, that you retire to your best life ever and live a successful second half. So um, he's a Bill Belichick of, of, uh, of a wealth management firm. He's, he's, he's doing a really great job um, making people's futures bigger than their past. And so if we're able to convince or, to, um, or, or if a, a client is willing to, to go into private coaching, um, that's where we do charge per hour. And Scott feels that, or we feel that um, basically three hours of his time will get a client on a really good path. So we would sell a three block or three hour, um, one hour at a time, right? Over over three weeks or whatever is tailored to them um, at $450 or, or $150 an hour. From that point forward, um, it's kind of up to the client if they'd like to continue to engage him in his services because he can go deeper, he can go longer, he can ask better questions, he can provide more accountability. And so each session thereafter is, remains $150 per hour. So we've had clients who have engaged him upwards of 10 private coaching sessions. Uh, we've had some clients pay the 450 for the, f- the three sessions and found so much value that they're, they're good to go. And the retirement summary plan is set in motion and they don't, they don't need his services anymore. So that's really how the private coaching uh, sessions work for our firm. So, uh, so then I've got to ask, like, how does this work relative to Scott as your coaching workshop ep- expert in this uh uh in this program like is is he a salaried full-time employee of the business is there a like you pay him each time he does a workshop and you split the private coaching dollars like just how does this work from a from the business end right so again the the way that this worked is definitely a god thing um he's a dentist and uh you and your listeners know that uh, those who have um you know, been in a dental industry for 32 years, um, typically would have financial independence. So in the end, we are paying him hourly and uh, it's a fair, fair hourly wage, we we believe. Um, And because this is his second half, this his second act, uh, he is not full-time. He is part-time. And so he's working the hours that he wants and needs to be able to make this successful um, for him and his clients and for us. But ultimately, it's not a large burden um, of expense uh, for our firm. And so, it, it's really come down to function. Like you, you pay him some fee for the for the workshops, which is uh, uh, good for investment into the firm. And then you, the, he gets some portion of the private coaching fee, and you get the other portion, which then helps to cover the cost of the workshops, so that the the program kind of pays pays for itself. Um, no, he is paid hourly. He does not get a portion of either of the of the revenue that okay. we receive. Yep. Okay. So just you met you get a top line revenue. Mm-hmm. He he gets an hourly gets rate an hourly for his cost. Yep. You 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 get to manage that. Yep. yep. And the so, full and he gets full benefits from our firm, four hundred one k, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. So I guess I'm just wondering how long is is the is the goal to make it a profitable service? Like this is a a a, a profit line for the business. Is the goal like? We just want to make this cover its costs and break even because this is a good value add and a good service, mostly to clients. And maybe we'll get some prospects from it. Is this like, are you happy to lose money on it because this is a good service into the community? Like, just yeah. 
how do you, because I, I know like we haven't gotten to it yet, but like you have a wealth management firm with many hundreds of millions of dollars. So I know just the general numbers, like sure. the other wealth man, part of the wealth management business makes much bigger numbers than this. Mm-hmm. Uh, like not to be negative to it, but I'm just wondering yeah. like, yeah. so how, how do you think about this from the business end as like a program you offer? Yeah. The third option you provided was, is the goal to lose money? No, um, we are, uh, we're, we're definitely in this to um, make sure that we, um, that we cover our costs uh, to make it. Uh, so the, the, the first option you gave is what, what is the goal to make this a very profitable venture? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say so. We wouldn't mind a profit, but it's not the, uh, the not the end goal. Uh, so your middle option is the goal to break even. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We, we really were, want to help our clients. Um, the, the wealth management fee they're providing uh, that, that they're paying. We want to provide this service to them and for the non-clients who are going through it, um, we want to cover our costs. So it is to us a break-even uh, venture. And and out of curiosity, just how do you ad- administer all of this? I mean, I'm just envisioning like the number of workshops when you're when you're doing 18 plus workshops mm-hmm. throughout the year. At some point, like you can end up with a non-trivial amount of time from a team member of just like. Mm-hmm. Let me pull out the spreadsheet for the wait, wait, you wanted the June workshop. All right, let me look it up and see if there's any space. Like <laughs> yeah. I just how do you handle just like registrations and administration and 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 that end of things? Yeah. Well, the beauty of technology is that we put a lot of work under the front end of Eventbrite. So we're using Eventbrite to administer um, how uh, a client or a non-client would register for events. And then secondly, we have an administrative assistant here. Her name is Melinda and she's a rock star. And so she comes to work every day, serves our clients well from the, you know, the wealth management side and then also is instrumental in administering and making sure that the logistics of our um, refocus coaching workshops and private coaching events are are going well also. Okay. Because again, the bulk of them you're doing on site. So there's even just a physical like, yeah. is the is the room prepped and clear? <laughs> like, did, is the water available? Sure that, Do they know yep. where the bathroom is? Yeah, et cetera. <laughs> Did we did we clear the food out from the prior meeting? <laughs> Someone forgot to pull off the table. All yep. that, all that good stuff. All that stuff. Yep. So, so now help us understand how, like, how this comes about. I mean, you're talking about months of time to build this workshop, all this energy pouring into it to get it, uh, uh, to get it created and and built out. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, like, where just where did this come from that you decided to? build this into the the fabric of what you offer clients yeah well um yeah I, I, it's it's born out of a, a, a story of tragedy that that happened in my life i guess uh if i recall from uh, what are you in northern hemisphere in the united states you are do, do you live in cold winter climates michael yes yes i'm in i'm in the northern virginia area so we we get our good fair share of winter it only lasts about three months so yeah. we, we, we get a good, we get a good three months of winter here. Yeah. yeah. Well, then you know exactly what March looks like. So March <laughs> is that period of time where uh, winter often has not yet lost its grip and yet spring has not yet sprung. So I invite you to allow that feeling to, to wash over you of a cold and still and a gray day in March of 2011. Um, it was on that day that my, my dad called and uh, I was on my way to work and I just couldn't, uh, couldn't help but notice how, 
how gray it was. It was just so bitterly, bitterly cold and chilly. Um, and yet spring, I, I knew it was coming. It just wasn't there yet. And it's been such a long winter. I arrived at the office that day and my dad called and um, the voice I heard on the other end was that of sheer, uh, of sheer emotion. And he um, explain, uh, exclaimed to my name in a loud voice and said, Tony, she's dead. Pam, mom, she did it. She committed suicide. Wow. And, and Michael, um, my, my legs gave way as his words pierced my heart. And my mom's decision that day would change the course of history for me and my family and my, my grandkids, but also for my clients and my career. Um, would you mind if I told you a little bit about my mom? Please, please tell us about her. Um, her name is Pam. So Pam Hickson graduated as a registered nurse in 1971, and she quickly climbed through the health uh, through the ranks of the healthcare system. And she first started at a uh, as a floor nurse at a local hospital, but you know those long hours and swing shifts they 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 proved really difficult yeah. in raising her her young family, including me and my older sister. And soon. She'd find a job in home health where they offered more regular hours, steady income. And this ultimately led her to finding her calling as a hospice nurse. And Michael, I want to make sure that we clarify what a hospice nurse is, right? It's the healthcare industry is kind of, for all intents and purposes, given up on that particular patient and wants to really send them home so that they can be surrounded by um, loved ones and familiar surroundings. And uh, she fell in love with this calling, and she she soon then became a director of hospice at a local agency. And it was this career in hospice that um, she found her greatest joy and her ultimate calling, her purpose and significance. And it was this career in hospice that led to the greatest burnout I'd ever seen. So if you think back to the mid-2000s, that's around the time that electronic medical records, or EMR, became a thing. And my mom, right. technologically challenged, right? Do you have uh, anybody in your life, Michael, that uh, just doesn't like uh, technology? Mm-hmm. She's the generation that just didn't enjoy computers. And she found herself behind a desk more often than she was bedside. And she longed to get back to providing care for the terminally ill as they passed from this life to the next. But instead, right, bureaucracy, administrative work, EMR, became her begrudging focus. And she suffered from emotional and spiritual and relational and and career burnout. And she wanted nothing more than to retire, to exit the rat race and enjoy a quiet life on the farm that my dad and her still lived on. Well, We separated family from business, so um, she had a different financial advisor than me. And so she ran the idea past her primary financial advisor, to which this advisor pulled out her credentialing, experience, and software. And once you know, she gave her the green light. She and dad had enough money to retire. And I, I was eight years into my career as a financial advisor at the time, and she loved me, right? It's my mom. She wanted to give me the opportunity to give a second opinion. So what did I do? I pulled out my credentialing, my experience, and my software, and I, too, came up with the same result. Mom and dad had enough money, and I also gave her the green light to retire. 
And so she did. And shortly after retiring in the fall of 2010, something was wrong. Uh, she felt adrift in retirement. The care and purpose and significance that she had in her career were, were now nowhere to be found. Dad was still working. He hadn't retired yet. Her network of social connections at the office were still at work, unavailable for connecting throughout her day, and she was bored. She was wandering. She was faced with that question, who am I apart from my career? She knew exactly what she had retired from, but had no idea what she was retiring to. She had enough money to sleep at night, but not enough purpose to get up in the morning. And she fell into a deep depression as her, as her future became bleak and her mental health spir spiraled downward. And six months after retiring on the morning of March 22nd, 2011, my mom, Pam Hickson, chose to take her life. And, and, and the ripple effects of that decision were staggering. My dad, now left with no one to spend life with, my sister and I, no mom, my kids, her grandkids would miss the blessing that she would be to them as they grew up. And I, I, I was left to pick up the pieces. Michael, I, I was one of the financial advisors that gave her the green light to retire, the very thing that drove her to her death. And I, I felt an immense amount of guilt and shame. And I couldn't let, and I could have let that, that guilt and shame define me, to, to ruin me. But I chose, by God's grace, to turn this tragedy into triumph. No stumbling blocks into stepping stones. And I now know that money is only part of the equation to a successful transition to retirement. Meaning and purpose and legacy, they all carry equal weight into the transition to what's next. I discovered the hard way that is not nearly as important to define what you're retiring from. It's critical that the pre-retiree do the hard work of defining who they are apart from their career and to find significance and purpose second half of life to discover what they're retiring to. And so we've spent the time talking about these workshops and, and why we went through the time and investment of time and expense and energy. And Michael, that's why my mom is why, and we want to honor her legacy and the lessons that she taught so that we can help those who are retiring, avoid the mental health challenges that can come from an unplanned retirement. Thank you for sharing it. Is that, do you share that journey like with clients, with prospects, like to, to help frame this for them as well of like why, why you may be challenging them on some of these questions? Absolutely. The, the workshops, I start them. I'm the introduction. I share that story and, um, I want to be clear that like, I'm not so naive to think that every retirement ends in suicide. That's not my point. But the statistics would reveal that over 40% of retirees will experience some form of anxiety or depression within the first six months of retirement. I think we can avoid that. 
uh, it, statistics would also reveal that divorce rates spike within the first two years of retirement because you go from a bit of healthy separation for, during your career phase to now being together all the time. And if you're not prepared from a relational level with your spouse, divorce can be an option and we don't want it to be. We want to help retirees. And so I do share this story because it's so important that we help retirees um, overcome the challenges that can happen, uh, can result from an unplanned retirement. Do you find it, it resonates with them? I mean, it, it's certainly the story in of itself is powerful, but like when, when you try to have this conversation with, with pre-retirees, I mean, just, do you find they, they get it once they hear the, the story or is there still a lot of like, no, oh, that's not me. I'm just so excited to get out of this job. Like I'll be fine. Oh, um, like, how do they how do they tend to take it both uh, 100% like shocked that the the seriousness of this decision this the the unsettledness of this transition because they've been they've watched the 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 commercials they they see the beach they understand what golf is like this is not what i heard in the commercial <laughs> this is not it yeah what your story what my story re, uh, just revealed is not matching up with what i know to be what i what i know in my heart to be true i'm, I'm going to enjoy retirement it won't be me that being said it's a wake up call and so it gets them to scratch their head and think hmm what if what, what if the vacation phase the first phase of retirement ends up in boredom what if i can do the hard work of of, of planning for what's next and avoiding um, the possibility of anxiety and depression. And what if I can work on my marriage so that, um, that we can thrive in our second half instead of get on each other's nerves. So um, yeah, the clients that I tell the, the story that I, that I revealed to you um, lands both ways. It, it can't be me. It can't be me. No, 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 no. But at the same time, I've planted a seed that it could be, and it's important for you to do the work. And so I guess that's also why in the broader context, like, no, this doesn't necessarily have to be like the next revenue, like you know, major scaling revenue generating driver for the business. Like this is, this is valuable for clients. This is important for clients. This is impactful for clients and, and this, and this honors your mother. That's right. So I'm, I'm, I'm struck as well that, uh, just, you know, the story you shared like this. Uh, this happened in 2011. Yes, I think you had said you launched the the workshops uh, uh, in the past two years. Yes, and so I, I guess just help me fill in a little bit of the I guess the the journey of how this impacted you over over the I guess over the decade. Like I'm I'm sure there's a lot just you have to go through and process some you know wonderful benefits of therapy just to talk <laughs> through mm-hmm. a lot of what comes from. Uh, from when a tragedy strikes in family, but just I guess I'm just wondering more of like how this how this impacted and showed up for you over the over the past decade. Mm-hmm. You know, like this this is your this is your business that you're in, and then tragedy strikes very close to home. Yeah, um, it didn't happen right away. Um, you know, there was <laughs> the seven stages of grief were long and hard for me um, because I was one of the financial advisors that um, ultimately gave her that green light. Um, So it was tragic and it took me years to process whether or not I was even going to remain a financial advisor. Um, It was was a tough- Was it it at that level of like- Absolutely. I don't even even know if I want to do this anymore. 100%. 100% at that level. But I tell you what, um, 
you know, I've, I've got an awesome business partner uh, who's worked, walked beside me though, through this journey as well. And, um, it really, because he's my, one of my best friends and business partner, um, it was a tragedy for him too. Uh, it affected him as well. And it really alerted him and us to the importance of education uh, to our clients from a non-financial perspective. So we incorporated it unofficially and loosely in conversations during client meetings, but nowhere near to the uh, impact that we're having today. Um, about, I don't know, three, four years in when I started to, uh, you know, as we were navigating this as a family, my, my sister and my mom had a, such a beautiful rela- mom-daughter relationship, right? So she had to take her time to process it. Uh, my dad, my goodness, Michael, he, they were high school sweethearts. Um, they, they had dreams of what was next for them. It was so devastating for him. So for me to articulate this story on a larger stage and platform um, without allowing them to process it and giving them time to understand um, what had happened and how they were going to deal with it, that, that wouldn't have been right. So it did take a long time for, for us to come to the point where, um, where we were comfortable sharing the story. And I would say there was a, there was a point in, in 2017, right? And I know the dates because I've thought this story, story through quite a bit. In 2017, we're, we're in NAPFA, right? And they do press release or press uh, requests for, for their member firms from time right. to time. And uh, in 2017, they did a press request for uh, the, the topic was, have you gone through a, a personal situation, a tragedy, a, a hard circumstance that's changed you as a, a financial advisor? And, um, you know, that, that kind of struck me. Like, yeah, I, I did. And I saw this particular author. His name is Maury Stetner. He wrote for Market Watch, still does, I think. And um, yeah. I saw some articles getting posted for, yes, I overcame cancer or and I'm still an advisor, maybe a better advisor. Or I was in a tragedy. I was in an accident, but I, I was able to go through physical therapy and I healed and it made me a better advisor. And, and those stories are super great and should be celebrated. But my story was a bit different. Um, the story I articulated to you um, was really impactful and uh, came at it from a different way. And so I, I responded to the pre- press request and Maury um, set up a 30 minute phone call with me to, to get my answers to his question. That phone call ended up lasting over an hour as he dug deeper into the story. And uh, before we parted ways that, that day um, over the phone, he said, Tony, you have a book in you. You just don't know it yet. And uh, that planted the seed. Um, like, hmm, maybe I do. Maybe I do. Maybe I have a book inside me because I can tell this story to you, Michael, one-on-one and to my clients one-on-one, but there has to be a better way or has to be a way for me to reach the masses. And um, that's exactly why I chose to embark on the journey uh, to put these learnings into book form. And so that ultimately come, I know you, you, you put out a book um, in the past few years as well. It's like that, that was, that was the book. That was this book was, uh, was sharing this journey. Yep. So in 29, late 2019, uh, my goal was to release the book after I got, you know, we had a family meeting. Uh, I remember it very well and sat in the coffee shop with my dad and my sister and cried and uh, asked them if they would mind or what their thoughts were of me putting these learnings in the book form to help others. And um, at that moment, it was tw- eight years later, 2019, they, they had processed their grief enough to give, to, to nod their head. Yes, we're okay with that. 
And so in fall of 2019, I, I started the journey of trying to write a book. I'm not an author. I'm a financial advisor, but gosh darn it, um, I'm going to try my best. And it took, took about a year for me to get all my learnings into book form and the, with the goal of releasing the book uh, on the 10-year anniversary and the celebration of her life, so 2021. So in September of 2021, we released the book into the world. And it was at that time, um, it it all just kind of mixed together when Scott was transitioning out of his career in dentistry and wanting to know what was next. And we couldn't help but think this would be a good and good alignment. And ultimately he agreed and it was a beautiful, uh, a beautiful synergy that we released the book in September, announced that he would be our, our life coach and literally released uh, started the refocus coaching workshops in January of 2022. So, how do you just how did you go about writing the book? Just like it's a lot of book to write to sit down and write when, as you said, like I'm a I'm a financial advisor, not an author. So, just how did you actually tackle the process of writing a book? Were you on your own? Did you like hire a service? Did you work with a publisher? Like, how do you actually bring this to life? Yeah, uh, good question. I didn't know either what to do, uh, but I knew I wanted to do it, and I knew it was figure outable. Um, needless to say, I mean, you remember fall of 2019. What was on the horizon, right? Uh, COVID. Uh, yeah. COVID hit March of 2020. So I was about you know four four months into my writing project when that hit. So not only was I navigating the wealth management side, the fastest bear market in history, and COVID policies, yeah. and et cetera, et cetera. But I was also pecking away at the manuscript. Uh, so to answer your question, I just did it. I, I don't know how else to explain. Um, when you're when you're committed, uh, when you have a goal, when you have a deadline, you embrace the suck and you just you just put uh, fingers to the keyboard and, and go. And yes, I had an editor uh, to help me um, ask more questions about this paragraph to help um, you know just clarify points I was trying to make. And ultimately, that led to me interviewing a good friend of mine who had sold a New York Times bestseller. And I'm like, who did, how did you do that? Uh, who, what publisher did you use? And he told me it was Greenleaf Publishing out of Austin, Texas. Had a phone call with them. They were engaged with a story. They're a small boutique publisher. They only publish about 100 books per year. Uh, they get over 2,000 pitches for books, and uh, mine was one that they accepted. And so we launched into um, you know, engaging them as the publisher and um, getting it into book form, getting the, the, the cover design, the ins- interior design, all the things that are uh, you don't even think about when you start your first word, but all the things that are necessary in order to, to make an impact to the world. So how did you find like the, the editor that was going to help in this process for for creating the book? Like, did that come from Greenleaf? We have editors. We'll, we'll help you get this sorted out. Or did you have to like go and find that yourself first? I had to go and find it. Um, it was a person that was in the industry and um, knew knew enough about the story. A friend of mine knew enough about the story to be able to, not not a professional or anything, but knew enough about the story to to ask the right questions and to help me clarify points. Uh, to say that it was a, I guess, a professional editor, I wouldn't maybe go that far, but um, it, it did help me get um, my points clarified better. Okay. And so how it just... How does it work? I guess just from book, like e- econ economics, and like the publisher help you sell it. Do you actually get like book 
book revenue royalties? Mm-hmm. Was that even something you were worried about, or you you just wanted to get it out there because you wanted to get the book out there? Yeah. Like how how does that how does that end of it work? Right. Yeah. We we went in when I say we my my business partner Adam and I uh, we went into this project with eyes wide open, knowing full well that uh, releasing books, the book space is really really difficult. Um, I think statistics would show that over 3000 books per day are released into the world, right? It's a crowded space and we're not, we weren't so blind as to think that we had this uh, massive marketing budget to be able to penetrate Dave Ramsey's of the world or the Susie Orman's or name, name your author. Um, But we did know that, that we had an awesome story to tell. And so from the beginning, this never was a project where we desired to be profitable. If, if it happened, high fives. If it didn't, we're, we're sleeping really well at night, knowing that those who chose to purchase a copy of this book uh, would be blessed by it. Our hope was would be that they were blessed by it. That being said, Michael, um, our goal truly is to not is never to make money on this thing. Uh, I do get revenue from the book. The, the book is still selling. It's 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 humbling to think that we're not really putting many marketing dollars toward it right now. But on Amazon, I'm getting a, a weekly report of book sales, and it's it's pretty humbling to see. And upon its release during uh, September of 2021 into October into November, I actually became an Amazon bestseller in five categories, including books on suicide, personal finance wealth management. So just a humbling experience. Um, but upon the embarking on this journey, both myself and Adam, we agreed that um, we really didn't want to benefit financially from this from this book. We wanted to be a blessing to others. And so all net proceeds from the sale of this book go to the Pam Hickson Memorial Nursing Scholarship Fund. It's set up at a local university, and um, the scholarship goes to a nursing student who displays financial need and good grades, and will be graduating into the healthcare field just like my mom. And the fun part about that is that the scholarship has been growing, book sales have been great, and I get to meet, my family gets to meet the scholarship recipient every year. And this just happened about a month ago where my <clears throat> my wife, my my sister, my dad, we all got to do, do lunch with the scholarship recipient, meet her, congratulate her, tell her this story, and to uh, encourage her on her journey to care not only for others, but to care for herself uh, so that she could avoid some of the mistakes that my mom made along the way. And we'll have a link out to the book, Retirement Stepping Stones, in our show notes as well. So uh, for those who are interested, go to kitsis.com slash 338 for episode 338. And we'll have a link in the show notes to buy a copy of Tony's book and support the scholarship fund. So what was it that ultimately led you to stay as a financial advisor, just when you got to the, that moment? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, though, I can pinpoint a, a moment or a day. Um, but it was definitely a, 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 a feeling I had deep inside that um, um, this is a unique, a unique opportunity for me to stay engaged and to help others. Uh, I, I became a financial advisor to help others, right? That, that if you're going into it for any other reason, you're probably not in the wrong profession. And um, that's what my mom did too. She was a nurse. And what, what do nurses do day in and day out? They help others. They help care for others. And um, I just felt an extreme sense of a desire to steward this story well, to not allow mom's 
uh, legacy to fade away, but to really engage in the story, to deal with the grief, to be an overcomer, just like uh, just like I've been taught um, all those years as um, as my I grew up on growing up on a farm. Um, you had to gr- grind it out and, and show grit. And I decided to remain engaged uh, and ultimately, hopefully, use this platform, this message to help others. So now help us understand the advisory firm itself as it exists today. You know, you've you've mentioned a few times working alongside Adam as your as your business partner and We've said a bit that like it's 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 grown to a sizable business, but that'll help us give us a little bit of the broader context of like that 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 whole advisory firm thing that pays some of the bills that uh, 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 that's out there in the in the periphery, as it were, as yeah. well. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I guess it kind of starts um, tw- over twenty years ago. So I worked at a graduated, uh, worked at a CPA firm out of out of college. Uh, my now business partner Adam also did the same thing. He he worked at a local CPA firm. We were actually high school buddies of of all things. Went to different colleges, lost connection. Um, but once we kind of came back into a career after college, um, we just reconnected over lunch. And he was working at a different CPA firm than me. But nonetheless, um, this was around 1999, right? I'm dating myself. 2000. And we know from an economic standpoint that that was roughly around the time that the tech bubble burst, right? Yep. So um, being uh, working at a CPA firm, what do you do all day? You do tax returns. And I couldn't help but notice as I prepared Schedule D after Schedule D after Schedule D, uh, the form that we report capital gains and losses. I was was seeing clients uh, report a lot of losses selling great (laughs) companies at the low. Right. And there's just something inside me is like, this is, why are they selling yeah. Microsoft? Well, yeah, this is, this is, this is the tech boom and bust. Like there uh-huh. were uh-huh. Uh, a lot of companies that a lot of high flying stocks that were down 70, 80, 90 plus percent. Correct. And I just couldn't convince myself that these companies were going out of business. Um, so to see these losses that these clients had locked in basically selling at the low was pretty unsettling to me and just having great conversations with Adam uh, throughout the, throughout those years as well. And uh, ultimately settling on a desire to help investors avoid those behavioral mistakes to help them invest wisely. Um, and then, oh my goodness, 2001, uh, September 11th, terrorist attacks that occurred. And that just was like the nail in the coffin. There was a, just a, yeah. a, a deep, dark cloud, economic cloud over our country. And um, man, it just wasn't, didn't feel good at all. Um, but nonetheless, we had a passion and a, and a desire in our hearts to help our clients make wise decisions. And so in 2002, um, Adam quit his job, started a started the firm. Uh, we had done the business plan together, uh, knew that we had zero assets, zero clients. Uh, he had a covenant not to compete in, in, the, in the city that we're, that we're located in. So we operated out of a spare bedroom in his home for the first year while that kind of covenant not to compete expired. Uh, I finished my last tax season out with my current employer so that I didn't burden the business with any more expense and uh, ultimately uh, joined the firm in April of 2003 and took, again, uh, just took a, uh, took a lot of prayer and commitment and grit for us to be able to start at age 25, uh, convincing wow. clients to uh, trust their life savings with us. And yet 
one by one by one, slowly but surely, um, trying our hardest and, and getting results, we were able to build a small little a little little firm and then guess what a few years later 2008 right 2008 global uh, financial crisis occurred and i'll be darned if um if that didn't uh, disrupt things disrupt our growth plans by quite a bit um, but with sheer determination and um and, and hopefully some good investing we avoided a lot of the downside not all of it but a lot of it and we grew out of that and um in 2013 we added our added our first financial advisor to the team so basically 10 years in we added our first our first financial advisor by the way he's still here he made partner last year fast forward to uh, the balance of the time uh into 2023 and we now steward around 330 client relationships in and around northwest ohio able to work virtually along the way uh, around 300, a little over 300 million in assets under management, starting at zero and um, have built it to uh, the level that we're at today. And and how big is the team at this point? We're a team of 12 plus a intern, so a, f- a full team of 13. And we have five client-facing financial advisors. And we the balance of, uh, of the team then would be on the operations side. Uh, led by uh, our uh, our client service manager, operations specialist, a couple of executive assistants, administrative assistant, and uh, in our marketing department as well. I was um, struck on on your on your website. You still have the like the 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 launch picture from twenty years ago. Where I, I mean, as you said, you um uh you know you were you were twenty five and just you know. Don't mean to say negative way, but like you, you and Adam look twenty five. Yeah, we did. This, we look kind of twelve, but in this, in this, in this picture, right? Um, so I don't know, like, is it? Uh, I mean, how do you how do you think about it? Reflecting back on like, what the heck were you doing to get people to give you their money and trust you <laughs> in? Uh, as as 25 year olds getting started isn't that a great question i don't know (laughs) i don't know why people were interesting that to to those guys on that picture um you know we brought a different uh, a different way of of managing money to to the town that we're uh, that we're in here in finley ohio the corporate headquarters of marathon petroleum and and a few other large businesses um we are a fee only ria and uh, back in that time frame, Michael, that just wasn't popular or known. It was it was present, but only present in small pockets in large cities. And so we kind of had a different story to tell than the local Edward Jones and uh, the, the Merrill Lynch's of life. Uh, we were not a broker. We were not a commission-based advisor. We were we offered a service, and uh, we wanted to do it well. And I think the other differentiation that we provide and still do to this day and that we brought to the market at that time was the way that we manage money and we are an active shop we're not passive so we were able to again coming out of those dark days of 2002 2003 uh, we we made some really providence would have it um, we made some really good investment decisions that allowed our the clients that we did have the friends and family that did trust us uh, to have some really good performance and so we were able to really drill down on our discipline, our investment discipline, and share that discipline with others. And it resonated. And uh, people began to, to trust that fee-only concept and, and, our, and our active management style. Interesting. So, so being 
being fee only in a not as big mega dense metropolitan area yeah. uh, was was an effective differentiator for you at yeah. the at the time as a way to stand out. We think so, and quite honestly, the third one I would I would I would respond with I don't maybe know how true this is, but it was my hunch. Um, we know that our industry is is getting older, right? The financial advisors' average age is you know mm-hmm. you probably know it better than I. And so there was a bit of um, uh, of newness. We we were young, and we had a big career in front of us, big growth plans, big goals. And I think people resonated with that that youth, that vitality, um, that excitement that we brought to the to the industry. And, and maybe that was also another reason is that they saw um, a couple of young guys that knew what they were doing, that had credentials that um, they could see growing alongside them as as they transitioned near and in, 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 and into retirement. Yeah, I, I do know I do know a, a couple of younger advisors in their twenties and thirties who've like gotten started or career changed or got going and and, and a part of their pitch to cl- to clients, particularly working with retirees, was just I'm gonna actually be here for your whole retirement. That's what other advisors do you interviewing who are actually going to be here? Excellent. Because it looks to me like everybody else you're talking to, you're going to have to change advisors when you're 80. <laughs> That's right. They're going to they're going to retire, mm-hmm. and you're not going to want to change advisors when you're 80. Like, yeah. I'm here for your whole retirement, That's and it. and that. That's compelling for for some clients. Yeah, it was. So yeah, I would kind of I would say those three things really helped us in our in those early days. Um, you had said like having coming to the table with credentials had helped as well. So uh, I think you said both you and Adam were like in in CPA firms doing doing tax preparation works. So like, are you, are you both accountants, like CPAs turned financial planners? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I should write another book about that. But uh, yeah, we're recovering accountants. Um, I have an accounting degree. So does Adam. Adam is a really smart guy. Like he's just and a great test taker. And uh, so he passed his CPA exam the first time, which is really rare. And uh, so, yeah, he brought that credential to the table, uh, which also when he's, when we started this career, they offered the PFS designation, personal financial specialist. And so he, he achieved that. Um, me, um, you know, I don't want to say I'm the dumbest person in the world, but I'm not a great test taker and I couldn't get that CPA under my belt. Um, I sat for it quite a few times, but was unable to achieve. And, and, and quite honestly, by the time I transitioned out of the CPA firm into uh, financial planning, wealth management, it didn't, it wasn't as necessary or it wasn't right. credible. And so I actually have my SEMA uh, designation, certified investment management analyst, uh, which, and RFC registered financial consultant, which tend to lend better to the industry that I'm involved in now. So I, I've, I've got to ask you in that context, like just when you're in, when you're starting out in CPA world and finance world, and having trouble getting through the the CPA exam, like was was that a you know I don't know if I'm even going to stay with this. Like there have to be some doubts that <laughs> self doubt that started kicking in at oh some point gosh. there. Oh my goodness, you're so right. Yeah, like uh, it was a big deal. I tried so many times, and um, yeah, I, I I just couldn't get it up to that point. Whether I would have kept trying if I had stayed stayed in the accounting. Uh, industry, I'm not sure, but um, I, I, I'm, I'm a pretty. Uh, I've done the Strengths Finder. Uh, one of my yeah. top strengths is consistency, so I think I would have stuck with it and ultimately got it. Um, but for the first few years, uh, I was unsuccessful. But I think I would also say that uh, ultimately, it, 
it didn't really align with my interests. Uh, you know, I thought it did. I got a degree in it. I paid for a college education in it. Um, but mm. af- actually practicing it uh, in an accounting firm, working long hours for 1040s during tax season, uh, it didn't overly align with my interests. And I often, I, I ultimately found that my interests really lied, lied more in wealth management, investment management, and the designations that I have now, I passed. And uh, likely because I had a, a more of a desire and more of an interest level in them. Interesting. I think it's a, that's a powerful framing that you had. Like I, I maybe in part, I just got through these designations because I was actually interested in them. <laughs> there's, there's nothing like, you know, enjoying and being interested in the subject matter to get you through what <laughs> I mean, and any of them, like there's there's a there's a level of slog that mm-hmm. just goes into learning program, learning content, and 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 getting down the material enough to be able to to get through the exam at the end. Like it yeah. it goes a lot further when you're studying something that's just actually of interest in the first place. Yeah, no doubt. And, and do you find that true for yourself? I know you have quite a quite a good list of designations. As oh, well. absolutely. I mean, to the point that I mean, the the counsel I give for a lot of advisors that are trying to figure out what designations to pursue or or particularly these days like I got my CFP marks but I feel like I need to do something else like what else should I do because <laughs> there are other designations out there but they get they get pretty hard pretty quickly yeah. uh, and the the counsel I always give is like look if you've got some baseline designation that's good that that, that kind of gives you like a, ba- a an initial level of of knowledge and credibility, you're trying to go go after what's next. Like, pick the thing that's actually interesting to you right. because it's going to be a lot of work. So, mm-hmm. like, pick the thing that's a that's interesting because it helps you get through it. And B, if it's that interesting to you, maybe you'll actually do it on the other side of the designation. Then you can use it because there's nothing that stinks more than starting down the road of a designation and then getting to the end and then finding out you don't even use it because mm-hmm. that's not where you focus after all. That's right. Yep. Yep. Adam also then studied for and passed his CFP as well. So he's kind of got a unique uh, skill set and designation set with being a CPA and a, and a CFP as well. No, I, I, I'm struck as well. You said that like you, you are a firm that manages more actively. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got your SEMA certification as well. Uh, so obviously like I'm, I'm sure I'm not the first person to, to bring up like, you know, there's a little bit of like an industry debate these things, these days around, oh, no. around active versus passive a little bit. And, like, no you, way. No, I, yeah, I, like, I, I, I read it in an article somewhere. Oh, okay. Uh, so, you know, just like, I, I know you end up being on the receiving end of, of some of that. And granted, you don't necessarily have to answer to your, your peers, if you don't want to you answer sure. to clients, but, yeah. um, but I'm sure there are clients that ask questions yeah. along these lines as well. Cause yeah. you know, the, the industry media has, has taken this up. Yeah. This will probably be the most controversial part of your podcast here, but, uh, <laughs> but bottom line, um, we, we are an active shop and I think that really comes from, um, I guess our competitive nature. Uh, starting a firm at age 25 is not the norm. And so we were just, we were competitive people, Adam and I, and we wanted to succeed. We wanted to win. And uh, I think that translates into our investment philosophy and discipline as well, where uh, you'd have a hard time convincing me, uh, the S&P 500, uh, that all 500 companies are good investments, right? Uh, there has to be a way, there has to be a, a strategy or philosophy that you would find the good or the best investments out of that particular index. And so I know like, you know, entire detailed investment management process can like literally be an hour conversation 
yeah. unto itself. We, we don't have quite that much time right. remaining, but can you share a little bit of just like how you go about this in in practice? Like what is that investment approach of how you're how you're managing actively? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, Adam is our chief investment officer, so he leads the team. I'm a co-portfolio manager, so we operate by um, um, by by co-decisions. And then ultimately, we have a full-time research analyst on staff. Uh, I would say that uh, we live in a small micropolitan community. Um, I think I said before, Marathon Petroleum headquarters are across the street. Uh, I think there, I've heard once, I'm not sure if this is true anymore, but there are six Bloomberg terminals in Finley, Ohio. Uh, four of them are at Marathon and two of them are at Hicks and Zerker Capital Management. So uh, we take research, uh, at our research rigor and, uh, as an advantage. Um, Austin, our research analyst, has no client-facing responsibilities. He has four screens up each and every day to provide Adam and I with uh, content, decision um, decision points for us to, to be able to process uh, in order to make wise decisions for our clients. And um, I guess ultimately, we, we are stock-centric. We have a couple strategies. Uh, we are a GIPS-verified firm, so Global Investment Performance Standards. Uh, we've been GIPS-verified all the way back to the beginning of our uh, of, of our business. And um, it's not it's not rocket science. It's uh, we, we we build our strategy on durable companies that have economic moats uh, that are managed well that uh, meet a lot of the growth metrics that we want to see, and um, and we just want to see uh, those companies continue to operate well uh, to to innovate more and more to improve the way we live, work, and play. We invest in what we know. And uh, instead of owning 500 to dilute, uh, we own a concentrated portfolio of between uh, 30 to 35 names that we think will outperform the market and hopefully provide downside protection when the market's out of favor. So we have our, our flagship strategy, if you want to call it that, uh, the one we started with around 20 years ago is focused equity portfolio. Uh, it's basically where two thirds of the names of the holdings have to pay a dividend uh, one third does not have to pay a dividend, so it's more of our growth um, tilt. And then we have a sister strategy to that focused equity income portfolio, and it's for uh, all 100% of the holdings have to pay a dividend. So the that has more of a value feel and a little bit more uh, better um, downside protection for retirees who still want to you know keep pace with equity markets and, and have a have a good return but also want to avoid the volatility that the growth side of the market can have at, at certain points and um uh as you as you implement these like how often are are like stocks trading and and turning over i mean are you a a buy and hold ish kind of firm within these. So like stocks may be around for five, 10 years once you find a longer term durable company you like, or are you still moving amongst them more actively because markets and companies change a lot. And so you've, you've got to do more stuff more often. Yeah. Um, so Adam and I come from a accounting background. So fundamental analysis is key and important to us. So um, in a bull market and fundamentals are going well, you're not going to see a lot of turnover. Uh, but in a in a volatile market down with with downside volatility, uh, you're going to see us with a bit of a technical overlay to ensure that uh, we are protecting client wealth. We do have the ability to go to cash. We've never gone all to cash. Um, there's only been a handful. Uh, I would say I could count on one hand the amount of times that we've uh, raised cash in a portfolio. 
the one was in 08 and uh, another one was in COVID times. And the other one was here more recently with uh, the inflation bear market that ensued in 2022. So as you look back on this uh, journey, just what's what surprised you the most in this 20-year path of, uh, uh, of building a 300 million AUM advisory firm? It's um, a good question. I, I, I think uh, I'd answer it a couple ways. Um, the first is um, how much I appreciate clients' trust and confidence that they've placed in us. Um, oftentimes, my clients uh, have become not just um, a paying customer, but rather a friend. And I know their, their, their career, their accomplishments. I know their kids. I know the, what their kids might be involved in or their grandkids as well. And so I think what's possibly surprised me is just how um, exciting it's been um, getting to know new people and developing friendships along the way. Uh, I think another surprise is how, co- uh, I don't know, cooperative is the right word, but the financial advising industry, we're, we're in this together. There, there's not a lot of fierce competition where there's bad things being said about others. That's not the experience I've had. Um, while I've While I may have embraced an active uh, management uh, philosophy. It doesn't mean that I think passive is wrong. And while we may be fee only, it's not because I think that commission-based advisors are evil. Uh, they just do it differently. And uh, so it's just fun to interact with other financial advisors and colleagues at conferences and and, uh, and throughout social media and and, and on and on it goes. Um, so just uh, the, the friendly industry that, um, that we're a part of is, has been a welcome surprise for me, for sure. Um, maybe the third way I, I would answer it is that it actually worked. <laughs> I, I, I don't exactly know how how to say it, but th- there's a large percentage of businesses that fail within the first five years, and I'm not blind to those statistics. Um, I don't want to quote it, but maybe possibly 90%, 80% of businesses fail within the first five years. And uh, last August, um, Adam and I, um, you know, gave each other high fives as we celebrated 20 years in business. And um, I don't know if I should be surprised by that, but God's been good. Our clients have been grace, uh, great, um, great clients. Our team puts two feet on the ground every day to help our advisors or to help our clients win with their investments. And it's just been a fun journey, and it's been um, it's been it's been rewarding. And uh, just appreciate uh, the clients' trust and confidence that they placed in us for for such a long time. So. Out of curiosity, in, in the context of that journey, you know, we mentioned earlier you have the like the wonderful picture on the website, like you and Adam when you're getting launched 20, 20 years ago, yeah. um, uh, uh, versus today. Uh, but part of what I was struck by in the picture, aside from just we all look a lot younger when we look back at ourselves twenty years ago, mm-hmm. like you took a picture of yourselves in front of the like the the signboard for the. Uh, the firm yeah. and the firm name is different. You were you were Freedom Financial Solutions then, yeah. and you're you're Hicks and Zerker today. Yeah. And just I'm I'm struck by that both by the name change and because candidly, I find most advisory firms when they change their names, if they do a name change, it goes the other way. <laughs> they go from like they found it with their names, yeah. and then they make it something that's not their names because they wanted to feel broader than them or bigger than them or something mm-hmm. to that effect. Sure. So I'm 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 really curious about the the name change from Freedom Financial Solutions to something that 
is your your name and Adam's name and putting your names into the firm name after 10 years? <laughs> yeah, it's an insightful question as well. So yeah, uh, in the background of that picture, Freedom Financial Solutions. So I guess learnings we've had along the way. It sounded like a cool name, right? We wanted to be that place where um, we offered freedom uh, with your finance and we provide solutions and you know all that. It just had a good ring to it. Um, however, within a few short years after starting, we began getting phone calls. Uh, do you do debt consolidation? Uh, do you do more mortgages? Uh, do you I want to be free from my debt. Do <laughs> you do freedom? <laughs> That's it. So um, the name implied that we did a lot more than what we did. And we were real, really hyper-focused on wealth management, investment management. So ultimately, we, um, we really knew that a rebranding needed to happen. And as we thought about um, the impact that Adam and I, we wanted to have on, on this community and our clients, um, you know, we wanted to have a generational firm. And when I think through some of these you know, notable firm names like Edward Jones and Schwab and Morgan Stanley and um, right, uh, Merrill Lynch, these are all names that um, their legacies are still being expressed through the management of client funds. And in the micropolitan community that we're in, uh, we've been here long enough that our names um, carry some weight. There, there's some credibility there um, because we've consistently tried to show up every day and do good things, to do the right thing, the next right thing for our clients. And so we thought and we, we ultimately determined that uh, branding uh, with both of our names was the right decision for us. So Hicks and Zerker Capital Management was rebranded in 2012, so 10 years after the start of our business. I'm I'm still struck by that though that you'd said like you know we we saw ourselves as being a generational business uh, and we wanted it to last beyond us so we put our names into it uh, and I mean I think you I think you make an interesting point in examples right like Edward Jones Merrill Lynch Morgan Stanley Schwab like these are all companies that have the names of the actual people who were who are there and that has not stopped them from growing to companies that ultimately went far bigger and beyond just, mm -hmm. just being like a, a, a founder led business. Sure. Um, Merrill Lynch and Morgan Stanley are a couple of generations past their, past their founders now. So mm -hmm. I, I, I do find that fascinating that, you know, for a lot of firms, I find the biggest driver of changing away from their names is that they want the business to be generational beyond them. And you put your names into the business because <laughs> you wanted it to be generational beyond you. That's it. And we just hope to, we just continue to hope that it'll be a reminder of the, you know, the core values that we embrace and express every day. So beyond us, um, you know, we, we've implemented five core values into our firm, integrity, professionalism, excellence, uh, abundance, and teamwork. And those five core values uh, are going to stick with the name of, of myself and Adam uh, beyond our uh, beyond our careers here. So hopefully that will be a, a good connection point for future generations, future owners, future team members of the firm to know. You know, these guys started this business. They operated with integrity, professional excellence, teamwork, and abundance, and uh, we're going to continue to express those too. So, what was the low point in the? in the business building journey for you? I know obviously like there were some very real challenges in, in personal tragedy mm -hmm. that we've talked about, but I'm wondering just from the pure business end, like building and scaling a business gets bumpy and messy from time to time. So what, what was the, what was the low point in this 20 year business building journey? 
Yeah. Um, oh, wait. And basically the story there is uh, oh, 2008 great financial crisis was just a slow motion train wreck, right? It didn't happen like COVID. It wasn't the fastest bear market in history. Right. It was one of the slowest and also one of the slowest recoveries. So uh, I, I don't think we recovered market highs until 2013. So uh, it was just a really challenging time to manage client portfolios, to manage client expectations, to manage a business, um, to, to behaviorally coach clients to stay invested and to, to be have an abundant mindset when I was questioning it myself. Um, it was just such a, um, a surreal time to be uh, preaching these principles that you know to be true, but then uh, having to live them out was just so difficult because day in and day out, you weren't sure if you were going to see that next thousand point down day or the next 800 point up day. What bad news was going to uh, flash across uh, CNBC that moment? Um, it was just a really challenging time, but um, you know what? We stuck with the principles. And we stuck with what we know to be true. We we stuck with those great investors that had taught us through their books and their podcasts that we had learned from, uh, including obviously Warren Buffett, including Nick Murray, uh, all of these um, all of these great advisors who had also gone through uh, bear markets and volatile times in the market and had come out ahead. And we put our feet our our, our, our heads down. And um, we put our accounting degrees to work as we uh, managed the business from a financial aspect. And uh, we came out on the other side better for it and more prepared for the next time. And uh, we learned a lot of lessons. Uh, one of our mantras here is we either, well, let me ask you, Michael, finish this sentence. When are you either win or you lose? Yeah, no. So our mantra is we win or we learn. We don't lose here. We learn. We, and we give ourselves plenty of opportunity to, uh, opportunities to learn. Um, but we've learned a lot of lessons along the way and mistakes that we'll, we won't repeat. But uh, we put our heads down every day to, to succeed in managing our clients' wealth. And 08 was a tough time, but it taught us a lot and made us who we are today. Out of curiosity, just who, who else were you turning to for counsel, wisdom, guidance, solace <laughs> through, through that time. Like you mentioned, you know, Warren Buffett, Nick Murray, just wondering were, were there uh, other like people or books or resources that were, were helpful for you in that time? Yeah. Um, there's a good friend of mine that a uh, business mentor um, goes to my church, wrote a book, has a um, sold a successful company for, for a lot of money. And, um, you know, it was good, it was good from just a personal connection a business mentoring connection to, to, to meet with him, uh, time and again. And then from a personal level, quite honestly, Michael, uh, Scott Miller, uh, the, our life coach today, um, even back then as he was a dentist, he was a great friend of mine and, uh, he provided just, um, just that settling, uh, calm that I needed to, to keep my mind straight, to keep my family intact, like to try to keep work at work. And when I went home, I had a you know, 2008, I had a, a two-year-old and a newborn. Um, so I needed mm. to, to really be a good dad as well. So I leaned into books, podcasts, um, my faith, and that helped carry me through. So anything else you know now that you wish you could go back and like tell 25-year-old you when you were getting started about how to, how to do this journey? Yeah. I think uh, the one thing I would be quick to tell my 25-year-old self is to uh, try to look older than you do in that picture. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I would tell I would tell myself um, 
I would just remind myself that, that we often suffer more from imagination than reality. Mm. And that's a quote from, um, you know, the Stoics. I think Marcus Aurelius is the first who, who had said it, but um, it's so true. Um, I tend to be... You, you were self-conscious about looking 25 years old in the picture, yet in practice, like here you are with a $300 million firm where mm. apparently that didn't actually stop you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And the worst case scenarios that I painted in my mind ultimately didn't turn out and um, going out of business. And in 2008, I was sure that I was going to have to to find another job. It That didn't happen. We were able to navigate that. Um, there's just story after story and, and financial advisors and business owners that will listen to you to this podcast will be able to fill in the blank of the imagination that they portrayed that they thought was going to be the worst worst case scenario would play out ultimately didn't um and uh, that's certainly something that i would that i try my hardest not to do is is paint this imagination of worst case scenario that ultimately often does not pan out and does not does not actually happen is not reality so any other advice you would give younger, newer advisors getting started today? Um, I guess practically, Michael, I would, I would say get your designations early. Um, I often, you know, I find that, you know, what happened to me, I got married in 1999. Um, so I wanted to be a good, you know, a good husband to my wife. Um, and trying to study for designations along the way, you know, takes a lot of time away from that, that relationship. And then when you toss kids in the mix, game over, dude, um, kids just make life so much more full, uh, so much more complex. And you really don't want to, at that point, spend your time, uh, studying. You want to spend your time building into your children. So I guess just a practical coaching advice is, um, do the hard work, get your designations early before life uh, really starts to crowd out your ability to do so. So as we wrap up, uh, this is a podcast about success. And one of the themes is just the, the word success means very different things to different people. And so, you know, you built this wonderfully successful advisory business that's in a, a great place, but how do you define success for yourself at this point? Huh, I love that question. Um, I, I'm going to answer it. Do you mind if I tell you a story to, as I as I circle back around to the answer? Sure, please. Um, well, as you can see, you know we've spent some some time together. You you can tell that I've learned a lot from my mom's tragedy, and um, I told you that in 2019 I embarked upon that quest to document my learnings into book form. Um, March of 2020, COVID hit. That made it really difficult. Uh, in addition to navigating that bear market and forcing COVID policies. I continued to peck away at that thing. And I concluded my 35,000 word manuscript. So 35,000 words, that's like one blog post for you, right, Michael? Yeah, it's a couple, but <laughs> yeah, it's a good, 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 good week for what we put out. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're a little nutty that way. Yeah. So to me, 35,000 words was insane. So I concluded that puppy in, um, in fall of 2020. And I submitted my manuscript to my publisher. And it would go through three rounds of, of edits. And the first would be the developmental edit. And I'd felt I had done a, a pretty decent job of writing. I was actually looking forward to the feedback. Uh, I'd noticed that my manuscript was assigned to a lead editor whom I immediately looked up on LinkedIn only to find that Lisa had a doctorate of literary science from Harvard. Hmm, I thought <laughs> this should be interesting. Listen, Michael, five weeks later, all right, I got my manuscript back. That's how long it took her. It was so bad. Um, 
perhaps you've used the track changes function in Microsoft Word. <laughs> yeah, when it comes back and it's it's more it's more red line than actual original text. Dude, dude I saw a sea of red. And quite honestly, uh, I, I was not in the right mindset when I opened that document and I just wasn't prepared. Um, I had really felt like this lady had destroyed my work and I had put a year of my life into this thing. I was devastated, mm. absolutely devastated. I wanted to give up. And um, yeah, over over a year of my life, I had dedicated to this book and, and now each page was littered with critique. So I immediately called Adam down to my office and to show him what she had done. And he looked and he saw the destruction, put his hand on my shoulder and as a good friend would do, he said, I understand, but you can't give up now. You're so close. You wanted to honor your mom's legacy. Don't stop now. Well, that evening I went home to, uh, to my wife and I showed her, look what she did. And my wife, my support system and my best friend, she looked me in the eye and said, I understand, but you can't give up now. You're, you're too close. I believe in you. And, and later that night, Michael, I shook my fist at God and I, and I cried, how could this happen? I don't have time for this. Why? And I never heard God respond to me audibly, but in my spirit, I heard him say, Tony, I gave you a doctorate of literary science from Harvard. You're welcome. <laughs> and with that, my attitude changed and I realized how blessed I was to have Lisa as my editor. And for the next five weeks of my life into the beginning of 2021, I patiently and painstakingly combed through her edits. And around that time, February of 2021, I scheduled a coffee with a business mentor and a friend of mine, and I wanted to check in and reconnect and see how uh, retirement was treating him. You see, he had retired about six months earlier, and I expected our conversation to be full of stories of his travels and connection with grandkids and, and how his nonprofit passion points were filling his time. But instead, Michael, I, I saw a man who was lost, and I spotted those same traits in my mom. I would say he was downright depressed. And in that moment, I decided to dig a bit below the surface. And I asked, Joe, how is retirement treating you? And as Providence would have it, Joe decided to be vulnerable with me that morning. And he declared, I checked all the financial boxes, Tony, but something's still wrong. I just feel lost. Michael, need I remind you, I was midway through my edits at yeah. the time, right? To say that I knew my content was an understatement. So when my friend opened his heart to me, I knew I needed to steward this moment well. And having spent an inordinate amount of time combing through my book edits, I was ready. And I began, Joe, have I ever told you the story about my mom? Later that day, my wife, Carrie, came into town and so we could grab lunch together. And I told her the story about what had happened. The book hadn't even been released yet, still months away. And mom was already having an impact on others. And as fate would have it at that moment, I received a text from Joe as we ate. And I asked her if it would be okay if I checked it. And, you know, I hate when married couples stare at their phone at a restaurant. And uh, absolutely, she said. And I opened the text and tears began to flow. And that text that I still have to this day read, Tony, thank you for your time this morning. Thank you for sharing your story today. 
whether you know it or not, you quite literally saved a life. Michael, my mom was a nurse, and as such, she cared for her patients well. And I'm a financial advisor, and as such, I care for my clients well. And this message, this platform, this opportunity you're giving me today allows me the opportunity to join my purpose with my moms as we help others, as we care for their transitions and and mental health challenges that come from an unplanned retirement. And so when you ask me, what is success? I can't help but think of the quote from Mark Twain, the two most important days of your life for the day you were born and the day that you find out why. I found my why in February of 2021. And that particular person heard my mom's story. And after release of my book, thousands of people have now heard my story. And after the few dozen podcasts that I've been on, and now including yours, thank you, you've now heard my mom's story. And this is what drives me. This is what success is to me. Michael, you were made on purpose for a purpose. We all are. Find your why. Find your success and live it today. It's beautiful. Thank you, Tony, for, for joining us, for being vulnerable, for sharing all of this on our Financial Advisor Success Podcast. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Want even more ideas, tools, and resources on how to break through to the next level of success as a financial advisor? Check out the leading financial planning industry blog, Nerd's Eye View, at www.kitsis.com, where Michael covers the latest practice management trends and financial planning strategies. And by joining the members section, you can earn IMCA and CFP continuing education credits, along with exclusive member content. Get it all now at www.kitsis.com.